Well, welcome to week three in our study of Matthew's gospel. Now, it's been a while, so let, let me just go review where have you been so far. In week one, as we looked at Matthew's genealogy, we saw that the point that Matthew was trying to drive home is that Jesus is king and the true heir to the Davidic throne. And as king, Jesus has the authority to speak, the power to rule, the desire to include, and the right to reward. Amen? And in week two, we saw that when Joseph woke up to who Jesus is, that Jesus is the Christ, the Savior, Emmanuel, the King, God with us, that Joseph did what the angel commanded us, commanded him. And, and Joseph teaches us a lot of truths about obedience. Obedience can at times be embarrassing, often is inconvenient, doesn't always make sense, usually comes with the price, and will always be rewarded. Get it? Good. Review over. And I lived up to a brief review. Praise me. No, <laughs> praise me. That was awful. Rewind the tape. Okay, not praise me. Anyhow. All right, let's do this. The gospel of Matthew week three. Uh, they came, they saw, they worshiped. And here's how I want to uh, unpack our text this morning. Matthew chapter two, verses one through 12. I want to Look at the shepherd's story using Matthew chapter 2, 1 through 12 as our guide. And then see what these guys teach us about worship. They came, they saw, and they worship. Uh, I'm going to pray us into our study. And before I do, just a reminder, uh, two weeks from the day, we're having a, a baptism Sunday. Um, you know, why is baptism a big deal to us? Because it's a big deal to Jesus. Uh, Jesus was baptized. He modeled it. Jesus commanded people to be baptized, make disciples of all nations, baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, why? Because the New Testament early church, they embraced and practiced it. Acts chapter 2, 3,000 people were baptized. And throughout the book of Acts, you see people being baptized. Um, who should be baptized? Anyone who wants to follow Jesus and hasn't been baptized. When? Anytime, 24-7. But we're having a day just to kind of focus on it. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put a video together this week um, for people to watch where I talk more about baptism than I just did right then. All right? You all with me? You all feeling good? You all alive? You ready to do this? Right? Ready to be church today? All right, come on. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, so good to be in your house. So good to open up your word so good to worship with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And God, my confidence today is not in me, it's in your word that's living and active, that's sharper than a double-edged sword, that's able to penetrate even a divide in soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and it judges the thoughts and attitudes of our heart. So God, I pray that we would have eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to respond. In Jesus' name, amen. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1, let's look at their story. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea. Uh, now, the word Bethlehem, it's a compound word, right? And, and Beth means house, and Lehem means bread. Therefore, Bethlehem means what? House of bread. And kind of cool that the bread of life was born where? He was born in the house of bread. I don't think it's an accident. And Bethlehem is also the home of what Old Testament king? It was the home of, of David. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. He was a very cruel, crafty, cunning, paranoid, evil, and sadistic leader. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, 
Where is the newborn king of the Jews? Now, they seem to be very confident, right? Like they have no doubt that there is a newborn king and no doubt that he is nearby. Matthew continues, we saw his star as it rose and we've come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. Now, the wise men show up in Jerusalem after the birth of Jesus, which goes contrary to all of our nativity scenes that show the wise men and shepherds arriving there together. The shepherds were there that night, but the wise men were not. Now, my daughter Chelsea, when she sets up her nativity scene, she always puts the wise men away from everybody else because they're on their way. She sets them up somewhere in a distance because, hey, they're not there yet, but they're heading to the nativity scene. And so just who are these wise men? They are basically uh, professors and philosophers. Uh, They're from what is now maybe the area of Iraq. They study history, medicine, religion, prophecy, astronomy, and astrology. See, the ancients studied the skies looking for God and trying to answer such questions as, why am I here? Who am I and where am I going? And these guys were very influential. And they served as advisors to kings. Daniel, right, was an advisor to kings in in Babylon. And so they were not kings, but it's not too far from the truth to say that they were king makers. And these guys were motivated and they traveled a hundred, excuse me, a thousand plus miles across the desert because they knew a baby was born. They didn't know where. They knew he was a king, but they did not know his name. And so they go to Jerusalem, which makes sense because they're looking for the king of the Jews. And verse 2 adds a detail that intrigues and baffles people for 2,000 years. We saw his star as it arose, and we've come to worship him. So what is this star that arose? Many theories have been prosed over the years. Uh, the earliest was from Origen of Alexandria, who in the second century said the star that guided them was a comet. Johannes Kepler, the father of modern astronomy, says that the star was in alignment of Jupiter and Saturn in the constellation of Pisces around 7 BC. I lean towards the star being a one-of-a-kind, miraculous creation of God. Just like the great fish, not a whale, the great fish that God created to allow Jonah to live inside of it for three days. Or like the Shekinah glory, the pillar of fire and cloud that guided God's people as they wandered through the desert. And another reason I believe it was a miraculous creation of God is that later on in Luke chapter 2, when the star reappears, it it moves from Jerusalem south to Bethlehem, right? And stars appear to move as the earth rotates on its axis to go from east to west, not from north to south. We saw a star as it arose, and we come to worship him. So there's a lot of things we don't know about this star. But here's what we do know. Its purpose was to get the attention of the wise men, right? And it did, right? I mean, they knew that when crazy stuff happened in the heavens, it meant that a great ruler was born. Number two, we know that the rising of the star was the fulfillment of a prophecy that we find in Numbers chapter 24. Now, the book of Numbers recounts God's people wandering through the promised through the wilderness and coming to the edge of the promised land. And as they wandered, God's people grew in power and might and strength, and they kind of freaked out a king named Balak. And he decided to call on a prophet and seer named Balaam to curse God's people because they're growing. He's freaking out. Hey, let me get this dude, and he's going to curse God's people. And as the story continues, 
God tells him, hey, I don't want you to curse, but bless my people. And it took a lot of convincing. It even took, anybody knows, it took a talking donkey, right? That's a great story you can read about. A donkey actually talked, and it's a pretty crazy story. But eventually, Balaam decides to obey God, and he blesses God's people several times. The final blessing in his numbers, chapter 24, 16 through 17. Here's what he, here's what he writes. The prophecy of one who hears the words of God, who has knowledge from the Most High, who sees a vision from the Almighty, who falls prostrate and whose eyes are open, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob, a scepter will rise out of Israel. A star will come out of Jacob, a scepter, a king, a ruler, will come out of the nation of Israel, and that's exactly what happened when Jesus was born. A star rose, and a king was born. Now, how did these guys know about Numbers chapter 24, right? Well, before and after the fall of Jerusalem, God's people were spread throughout Babylon and Persia, and they took with them the word of God. Also, you had a guy named Daniel, right, who served as an as a interpreter of dreams for pagan kings. So here's the bottom line about the star. I mean, you go on YouTube and watch all kinds of videos about it, right? I just think God made it, right? It just works for me. And if God created the heavens and earth, he can make a star, right? It's also a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. And, and if God wanted to get a message to these guys, he picked the perfect way. They came, they saw, and they worshiped. Here's one other thing I, I think is very interesting, is that, in Matthew's gospel, the very first people to worship God are Gentiles. Very first. And that's intentional. Because if you read the Old Testament, many Old Testament prophets predicted that the Messiah would bring people from all the nations. Like Isaiah writes in Isaiah 60, verses 1 through 3, talking about the Messiah. Arise, shine, for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will rise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. And nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. They came, they saw, they worshiped. Now, I know most of us have the image of three dudes riding on a camel across the desert, but that's not, I think, how it happened. There's no way that wealthy, educated, influential men would travel thousands of miles across the desert by themselves. I mean, that's not how important wealthy people travel back then. Instead, they would have traveled in a very large caravan. You could say they traveled in a grand caravan. I have a picture of one of them right here. Where's my picture? Is it there? Oh, I had a picture of a caravan. There it is. Oh, man. And is that funny? Isn't that, that's, that's, kind of, that's a 2022 Grand Caravan. That's, that was, my humor didn't make it, but that's all right. I thought it was funny. I need, where's that laugh track? And so you can imagine as this caravan, right, came into the town, military escort, servants, some say it could be as many as 300 people, got everybody's attention. I mean, that's why all the news networks were covering it and trying to see who could get the first exclusive interview. And notice they had no trouble getting an audience before the king, which again speaks to their power and influence. So this huge caravan is making its way down the streets of Jerusalem, and Herod 
who at the time is very paranoid, wants to know, hey, hey, what's up? And when he finds out that a newborn king of the Jews has been born, he's deeply disturbed. And the word literally means he's terrified or he's in great turmoil. See, Herod was not a king by lineage. He was a king by Roman appointment. And he was very insecure in his throne. Whenever he felt that throne was threatened, he would resort even to murder. He murdered several of his sons. He murdered one of his wife. He's murdered his mother-in-law. And Caesar Augustus, the emperor, one time said, I'd rather be Herod's pig than Herod's son. Right? So he's freaking out. And you notice that it says that not only was Herod deeply troubled, but all of Jerusalem was deeply troubled. Why? Because of Herod. He's in that case. Right? When he was getting ready to die, they didn't follow this order, but he gave an order that he wanted a, a hundred to a thousand officials in Jerusalem to be murdered at his death so that people would cry when he died. Now, obviously when he died, they didn't do that, but he goes, I know no one's going to cry, but I'll have people killed, so at least people are sad when I die. This is Herod. And they're like, what is he going to do? And so he wants to know where the threat to the throne is located. So he called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of the religious law and asked them, where's the Messiah supposed to be born? Without hesitation, they say, in Bethlehem and Judea, they said. For this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the, ru the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come out of you who will be a shepherd of my people Israel. That's the kind of ruler... And he's going to be, he's going to be a, he's going to be a shepherd. Someone say shepherd. shepherd. King Herod was most definitely not a shepherd. And you know, it's like these guys didn't have to go look it up. They say, hey, you know what? We're not sure. I, I remember that in, in, in Messiah, my, Messiah 101 class, but I forgot. I'm going to go back and look it up. No, they knew instantly. And if we add up what the scribes already knew to what The wise men figured out, we can safely conclude that signs of Jesus coming were clear enough for anyone to see. Point. God always speaks loud enough for a willing ear to hear. He's speaking right now. And I always take great comfort. If God could speak for a donkey, God can speak through me. And so right now, God is speaking and is your ear willing to hear what God has to say to you this morning? I'm convinced every time we engage God's word in any way that God has a word for us that he wants us to hear. The religious scholars knew and did nothing. The wise men heard and did something. They came, they saw, they worshiped. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. And, and Matthew doesn't tell us the answer that they gave him, but we kind of get an idea because later on, we'll see as we look at our text next week, that Herod sent an order to murder all boys under the age of two years old. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. After meeting with the king, the wise men went their way, and the star that they had seen in the east, it's kind of like it comes back, guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them, right? And again, not like a normal star. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. 
And I love the Greek. The Greek is, is better. <laughs> Literally, it, it means they rejoice with exceedingly great joy. <laughs> they rejoice with exceedingly great joy. Like, like why were they so joyful? Because now they know their search is not in vain. Because now they know that they will see the one born king of the Jews. And, and it's worth noting that they haven't seen him yet. <laughs> but yet still they're rejoicing with exceedingly great joy. Why? Because they know from the start, hey, it's going to happen. I, I, I may not see it yet, but I know it's going to happen because God is true to his word. So they still could rejoice even though they have not seen it yet. And I think there's a great lesson in there for you and for I, right? And especially when it comes to our forever home, right? I think God wants us, when we think about heaven and this place with no, no more tears, no more sorrow, no more disease, no more death, no more sin. He, he wants us, we're not there yet, we're not home yet, but one day we will be. And I think he wants us, because of that, to rejoice with exceedingly great joy because we are going home. Amen? They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary. And right away, I'm thinking, like, where's Joseph, right? You know, I know he's still alive, right, because he loses Jesus when Jesus is 12. But I don't know, I just kind of wondered, like, where's Joseph? I guess he's out working. Um, he missed it. They bowed down and worshipped him. Have you ever wondered if they were a little disappointed when they found Jesus? After all, he didn't look like a king. His home was not a castle. He had no scepter in his hand. Commanded no armies, gave no speeches, passed no laws, no royal decrees came from his lips. In fact, at this time, Jesus was just learning how to walk and how to talk. That's crazy. I mean, to the outward, child, outward eyes, Jesus at the time was a, just a toddler born into poverty. But these wise men saw him as a king. As far as they were concerned, Jesus possessed more royalty stumbling around in diapers than Herod did strutting around in his royal robes. You see, somehow they knew that one day this toddler would rule the world. So they unashamedly and full of exceedingly great joy fell on their faces before him. Maybe because of those words in, in Numbers chapter 24. Maybe because they knew those words had come true before their very eyes, uh, a star was born in Jacob and a scepter will rise out of Israel. Maybe because of the legacy of the prophet Daniel who was also a wise man in their country who wrote of the Messiah. He has given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and people of every language worshiped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. And don't miss the power and audacity of the scene, a powerful, influential man bowing down and worshiping a child. I mean, it, it would be like leaders from a, a great nation, from China or, or Russia, Great Britain, rolling into our country, a massive caravan of black SUVs with flags waving on the side, pulling into a housing project and walking out and bowing before a two-year-old child on the playground. I so love the contrast. Uh, when, the, when the wise men meet Herod, they don't even think about worshiping him. And when they see a toddler, they cannot help themselves but worship him. What Herod craved in demand that Jesus got without asking. 
And now we come to the last detail for one what these guys are remembered for is that they opened their treasure chest and gave gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And when you came before a great ruler, someone who was superior to you, you weren't going to get a gift from them. You always brought them a gift so they maybe wouldn't kill you or something, right? And so they brought gold, one of the rarest and most expensive metals. They brought frankincense, which was used in temple worship. They brought myrrh, which was made from rose petals, used as a beauty treatment, mixed with vinegar, became anesthetic, and it was also used to anoint bodies at burial. And the gold pointed to his majesty for Jesus as king. Frankincense pointed to his deity for he is God. And myrrh pointed to his humanity for he was destined to suffer and die. Now, did the wise men know that these gifts had that meaning? I, I don't think so. But no doubt God had arranged these gifts such that they would point to who Jesus is and what he came to do. Jesus is God. He's the Savior King who came to die for his people. And then Matthew wraps up their story with these words. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country but another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. Okay, that's their story. And what do these guys teach us about worship? The first people to worship God in Matthew's gospel. We saw stars arose and we have come to worship him. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary and they bowed down and worshiped him. They came, they saw, they worshiped. Five things about worship. Worship begins with seeing. When they saw the star as it arose, when they saw the child with his mother Mary, they bowed down and worshiped him. Worship begins with, with seeing. I find it interesting that even though the star was visible in the sky, not everybody saw it. I don't know, maybe they weren't paying attention. Maybe they're not looking. Or maybe like us, you know, sometimes you can see something for so long, you no longer really see it anymore. I remember the first time I came up from flat Florida and got off I-64 at exit 124, right on Pantops, right? Flat Florida for like a long time of my life. And I, I go like, oh my gosh, look at those mountains, it's beautiful. Now I'm like, wow, look at this traffic. Wow, is that a new Chick-fil-A? I mean, it's like, what mountains? I don't see them, right? Worship begins with seeing. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. A, a few years back, I, I was standing looking out over the Gulf of Mexico as the sun was setting and God decided he wanted to do some proclaiming of his power and his beauty and creativity. And I had one of my kids snap a picture. Here it is right there. Man. It's just like absolutely beautiful. I'm like, God, you made that. And it's incredible. I, 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 I love it. I, I can't tell you how. I stopped my car just I was driving down the road Yesterday, and I, had a, I was glad, well, I'm glad I got the stoplight because I just want to take a picture of the sky because it's so, last night was so absolutely beautiful. We see things like creation when we consider that it all came about by God simply speaking a word. That's all he said. Let there be a blade of grass. Wow, I can't even do that. Right? Let there be everything. And there was everything. When we think about that, we will just 
Stand in awe of him. Worship begins with seeing, seeing his creation. And like the wise man, seeing Jesus. Seeing Jesus for who he is, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Alpha and Omega, the mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, the way, the truth, and the life. And seeing Jesus for what he did and what he's going to do, he saved us, redeemed us, delivered us, he's coming back for us. Worship begins with seeing. Brothers and sisters, lift your eyes and see. God is all around you. Uh, uh, Open up this book and see See his plan and his purposes. See his grace and his mercy. See his greatness and his goodness. See his love and compassion. See his power and his might. Next, worship requires seeking. And yeah, I got an S thing going on here. Uh, We saw the star and we came to worship him. You see, true worship, like seeing always leads to seeking. And once you see it, you got to get closer. The wise men saw the star, but it wasn't good enough to be a thousand miles away. They had to get closer. Again, I I remember distinctly, you know, uh, several years back, I still got the picture, I'm going to show you, that I'm in my car pulling to my my house, and I look out, and I go, oh my God, I just got to get out and see that. I had to get out of my car and stop the picture. Look at this. Isn't that awesome? Do we have a picture? Are you kidding me? I didn't get that picture in there. <laughs> you can't really see. It looked like the trees were on fire. But they weren't on fire. It didn't look closer. It looked like a demon was in the trees. I go, okay, I don't like this anymore. Right? Maybe that's why it's not up there because it looks like a demon. All right? No demons allowed in church today. Right? But the whole point is, like, you just got, you got to get closer, right? I want to get closer. Like when you go to the beach, do you like, if you're in the beachfront hotel, do you actually go out to the beach or you just sit in your hotel and stare at the walls? No, it's like, I'm going to go out to the beach. And if I'm going to the beach, I want to be on the beach. I want to have to drive to the beach. I want to look out my window and I want to see the ocean. I want to hear the waves hitting the sand, right? It's not good enough to be close. I want to see it when I wake up in the morning, right? Seeing leads to seeking Jeremiah says, you will seek me and find me. When you seek me with all your heart, I'll be found by you. Isaiah, I love this verse. This is a cool verse. Isaiah 45, verse 19. I I would have not, okay. (laughs) Amen. I would not have told the people of Israel to seek me if I could not be found. I, I would not have told the people of Israel to seek me if I could not be found. What God is saying is, I want you to find me. I, I, I want you to know me. Jesus said, seek and you will find. The wise men teach us that worship begins with seeing, where car is seeking, and is grounded in Scripture. Where's the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. You see, when they, when they got sidetracked in Jerusalem, the word of, they went to the word of God to get direction. And I can't make it any clearer than this. Scripture is essential to worship. See, Scripture not only helps us see Jesus more clearly, but it guides us as we seek him. True worship always involves God's word, involves his truth, the living and active word that God breathed in order to reveal himself to us. The heavens reveal God. General revelation, special revelation, the Bible is where God says, hey, I'm going to write my word 
to reveal myself to you. So you know what I'm really about? Like you can't look at the sky and go, oh, wow, look at the sunset. God must be a great shepherd. No, right? We find that in his special revelation, which is his word. A time is coming, has now come, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. And, and, and over the years, I, I found that Scripture not, not only you know, grounds my worship, but it ignites my worship. It sets my worship on fire. Like just this week in our Bible reading you know, it's not too late. I'll, I'll keep harassing you for like another week or two with texts and emails, right? Join my Bible plan. Join my Bible plan. Join my Bible plan. And, and, and we're reading John. And John, I read John chapter 1 and like, oh my gosh. They ne- these words never get old. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who comes from the Father, full of grace and truth. Are you kidding me? This one who created all things, put on flesh, and walked among us? And man, I couldn't help but worship. Why would he do that? Because he loves us. And he wants to be with us. Begins with seeking, requires, begins with seeing, requires seeking, is grounded in Scripture, and is expressed in our submission. They entered and they, they bowed down. And bowing down is a sign both of respect and also a sign that the person you're bowing to is greater than you are. And here's an equation, right? Jesus is greater than you, He's greater than you. He's more important than you. We need to adopt the John the Baptist philosophy of life. I guarantee this will make my life and your life a whole lot better. He must become greater, and I must become what? I must become less. That's why I sharpie myself every Sunday. I'm probably going to get some, some kind of blood stuff from that or something. But, you know, it's not a tattoo because then I can't do it every morning. It's a ritual. You know, every morning I go, every Sunday morning I remind myself, you know what, it's not about me, it's about him. If I make it about me, then it's a waste of time. And I fight that battle every Sunday because the devil wants me to make it about me. The wise men teach that worship is made visible in our submission. Lord, you're in charge, not me, your will, not my, your perfect way, not my crooked way. Your purpose is not my agenda. And we see their submission again in the final words about them, right? When it's time to leave, they return to their own home by another route. For God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. Well, another route? I mean, they already booked their hotels through Expedia, got a great deal because God showed up and told them to. Get it? Good. Here's the deal. Worship that does not result in submission is not worship. Jesus said, quoting Isaiah, these people honor me with their lips but their hearts are far from me. Jesus said in Luke 6, why do you call me Lord, Lord? Why do you go to church? Why do you sing those songs? Why do you wear the t-shirts? Why do you go to those conferences? Why do you lift your hands? Why do you call me Lord, Lord and not do what I say? Listen, here's what I'm trying to say. Every time we submit to God, every time we do 
what he says, live how he says to live, it's an act of worship. And the good news is, you don't need to sing good to do that. <laughs> Amen. See, anytime you forgive those who hurt you, that's worship. Every time you pray for your enemies, that's worship. Every time you reach out to the hurting, that's worship. Every time you share your faith, that's worship. Every time you overlook an offense, that's worship. On the other hand, when we refuse to obey God, it's an act of rebellion. And rather than bowing down, that's not a picture of someone bowing down, that's a picture of someone turning their backs on God. Here's an image here I, of, uh, this is in New York City, this is at a funeral service for some fallen officers, that's the mayor speaking, and at this time these officers felt that the the mayor did not have their back, did not support them. And when he began to speak as a sign to say, hey, you know what? We know you're not with us, so we're not with you. We do not respect you. We're going to turn our backs to you. And you see them doing that. And see, the picture of you and I, when we just said, God tells us to do this, we're like, no, I don't respect you. God, I will do what I want to do when I want to do it. God, I do not care what you say. I think bowing down is probably a, the better way to go. Amen? I worship the man's sacrifice. Then they opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I mean, these guys made some sacrifices, right? They sacrificed their time and comfort, right? And their grand caravan did not have AC, did not have XM radio, did not have a DVD player, right? Did not have heated seats. They sacrificed their wealth and resources like they had gifts with them, which means they what? They planned ahead, right? It wasn't like they showed up, oh man, I told you we shouldn't spend so much at that last rest stop. This is all we got left for baby Jesus. No, they planned ahead with their giving. Question, is there any sacrifice in your worship? Sacrifice of your time, your comfort, your convenience, your resources? See, when it comes to God, you cannot separate sacrifice from worship. Worship that costs us nothing means nothing. Matter of fact, the first time the word worship is used in the Bible, and there's the rule of first usage in Scripture, is in Genesis chapter 22, when Abraham is about to sacrifice his son Isaac. 22 verse 5, he said to his servant, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will Worship? You're going to tie your son with a rope and pull back a knife to stop him. We will go there and worship. But then we know God didn't let that happen. We will go there and worship. Because worship requires sacrifice. And then we'll come back to you. Romans 12.1, in view, I urge you brothers, in view of God's mercy, in view of God not treating us as our sins deserve, in view of God's mercy, I mean, how, how often do you need God's mercy? Every day? Every hour, view of God's mercy, I urge you to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Worship the man's sacrifice. Now for the final stretch in this conversation, I just want to look at, briefly look at the three responses to Jesus we see in our text. The response of Herod is hostility, right? I mean, just the idea of Jesus made him, made him want to commit murder. I mean, he would do anything to get Jesus out of his life. To keep Jesus and his ways out of his life and off his throne. Response of the religious leaders was apathy, right? 
<laughs> the wise men spent months traveling a thousand miles. These guys wouldn't even go down the block. Oh, yeah, the scripture says this, but you know what? Uh, there's a lot of good games on the day. You know, uh, yeah, maybe, maybe later. The response of the wise man was, was worship. Was seeing, seeking, scripturing. That's a new word. I just made it up, right? Because I needed INGs, right? Seeing, seeking, scripturing, submitting, and sacrificing. Question, what is your response to Jesus this morning? Is it hostility? You see, and I said, you don't have to plan a murder to be hostile to Jesus. It, it, it just means that you don't want Jesus in your life telling you how to live and telling you what to do and what not to do. And you do whatever you can to push him away to keep him out of there. Maybe your response is apathy. Like you've been around a church maybe for a long time and you... Dear people talk, yeah, you can have a personal relationship with God. Maple grows purpose. We say it every week. <laughs> you know, it's going to everybody to a life-changing relationship with Jesus. Oh, yeah, life-changing Jesus. Okay, sure. I heard about that. Yeah. We're not willing to make the journey to Bethlehem to even check it out. By the way, if your response has been hostility, I don't want you to tell me what to do. Oh, Jesus, I don't really have time for you. But that's your response. It, don't have to, it doesn't have to stay that way, right? It can change at any time. Or maybe your response to Jesus is worship. Worship begins with seeing, involves seeking. Like, how hard are you chasing after him? It's grounded in Scripture. Like, are you in this book? I'm not trying to be mean or harsh. I'm just trying to be truthful. If Jesus is the Word, (laughs) how can you know Jesus if you don't read the Word? Like, how can you? Well, then you just create your own Jesus, right? (laughs) In your own mind, what you think Jesus should be or what someone else told you about Jesus. I don't know about you, but I, I, I prefer to chew, eat, and swallow my own food, not have someone do it for me, right? You know? And, and when it comes to God's word, it should be the same way with us, right? And, and maybe the reason you're still hungry and, and still thirsty, still in Jerusalem, is because you're not reading the word and getting encouragement from God, getting direction from God. And seeing how much God really loves you despite you. And worship expresses itself in our submission. Like maybe you thought you were going to come here today and worship God through song, but God is like, no, today I want you to worship me through submission. Like maybe there's things that God has told you to do or not do, and God says, do that. We can sing later. We can praise later. But today I want you to worship me by submitting. And worship the man's sacrifice. Seeing, seeking, scripturing, submitting, sacrificing. They came, they saw, they worship. I'm going to close with Psalm 95, 6 and 7. And y'all can come back up. Come, let us worship and bow down. And we're going to have an opportunity to do that, right? In just a minute, we're going to sing a song. An opportunity to come and to worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God. We are the people he watches over. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God. 
We are the people he watches over, the flock under his care, and a real scary verse. If only you would listen to his voice today. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the, for the example of the wise men. And God, we know that right now all of us are in some way responding to you. And God, I pray that response will not be one of hostility, telling you that we do not want you telling us what to do or not to do. We want to live the way we want. God, I, I pray that you would shake that off of us. And God, I, I pray, God, if any of us are apathetic towards you, apathetic towards your word, apathetic towards your church, apathetic towards living for you, God, that we would shake that off and that we would, God, that we would worship you, that we would come and worship and bow down, that we kneel before you, our creator, for you are our God, and you watch over us. God, help us to be people who are always seeing, seeking, scripturing, submitting, and sacrificing for you. God, may you be honored, Lord. And Father, I pray your Holy Spirit moves in ways that my word certainly cannot. And God, for any of us, Lord, who you have brought here today to say, I want you to worship through submission. May we obey and not turn our backs on you. In Jesus' name, amen.